0: The words I speak and the words we hear Be your words of life to us, our God Amen Fire te iti kahurangi Ki te koe Me he tete A fakatoki or saying to start with uh, Bonnie and I have started learning te reo Māori again uh, And on Monday night we were in our table groups And we were each given this Whakatauke, and we were asked to discuss what we thought it meant, and uh, our group was asked then to draw a picture about it. So, in our conversations, we um, thought that the first phrase, fire to iti kahurangi, fire uh, is to pursue, and the iti is small, and the kahurangi is something that is very precious. So, it's all about pursuing the small, precious thing, the highest ideal. When we talked about that, I was immediately reminded of what Jesus talked about, selling uh, the man who sold everything he had so that he could buy the field with the treasure in it, and the merchant who sold all his possessions so that he could buy the pearl of great price. But the Fokotoki, this saying, goes on to say, Kite kwe, if you bow down, mehemong tete. Te. Uh, May it be to a a high mountain. So we talked about what all that might mean. Now this is a well-known proverb, a well-known saying. Uh, Rotorua Boys High School, for example, use it as their motto. And what really interested me about the conversation was that we immediately didn't talk about he iti kahurangi. We didn't talk about the small precious thing at all. And we immediately talked about the high mountain and what that might signify. And so we talked about, uh, and we saw it as a kind of metaphor for life, really, that how our priorities change as life goes on. So we drew at the bottom of our mountain things like money, which then can allow you a good job that gets you money, and then that allows you to have a good car, You can see it was boys involved in this, mostly. And then a house, uh, all of which was good. And then, uh, but as you get older, your priorities change and you move towards uh, thinking that whānau is important uh, and then education, the importance of that and involvement in your marae, your wider community. But it felt, to me anyway, like there was something missing, that we needed something more, that we were just kind of staying with among the tete, that we weren't aiming for that itikahurangi at all. It was completely absent from our conversation. And everything that we talked about, even when we got the whānau and good education and community, it was still fairly me-centred. It was like our imagination was holding us back in the conversation. And good as all those things were, they didn't really go as far as we could go. And anything lofty like changing the world was completely missing. It was too far. To go any further, we needed to have a different or a bigger frame of reference. And it feels like that in the church sometimes too. It feels like our conversations at Synod and at clergy days, that the frame of reference has just become too small. Our understanding of who we are as God's Church is often too small, too timid. It's reduced to what happens here on Sunday mornings and how to keep it all going. Too often our focus is on how to keep Sundays going, how to keep this institution going. So we talk about outreach But outreach happens so that we can keep the church going. And all our activities are discussed in relation to how we keep the church going. Survival has become the point. When, if we were honest, survival has never been the point. And our understanding of God has become really small as well. And because of that, our understanding of who we are and what we're all about has become too small. It's like we want to work out how to climb the mountain, he maunga tete, rather than wondering what He iti kahurang might be. We've come to think that it's all about going to church, when in fact church has only ever been the starting point to becoming the people of that God desires us to be. And to go any further, well, we need a different or a bigger frame of reference. If we let it, the Bible offers us that bigger or different frame of reference. For example, we heard from Jeremiah this morning, and if you remember back, those of us who did the Lenten studies three years ago, we heard how Jeremiah actually offered a vastly different frame of reference for the people that he was writing to. You might remember that in those Lenten studies he was described as the one who first, or was one of the ones who first pushed the idea of God from tribal God who was bigger and better than all the other tribal gods, and when you did the right thing, when you were obedient to the rules, would protect you and save you too. The one God, creator of all. Tribal God, who's bigger and better than the rest, to the one God, creator of all. And not only did Jeremiah say that, but he said that this God has already acted to save. We heard that this morning. I will forgive them their iniquity. What had the people of God done? Nothing. Nothing. He just said, I will forgive. The forgiving is already done. The saving is already done. This is what Jeremiah said. And more than that, the people of God were no longer just supposed to be the people who were protected by God, but they were to live in response to the love and generosity that was already offered them so that they might be a beacon to all other people, that they too might know who this one God is. That is a vastly different and bigger frame of reference. And today we heard that despite the devastation that had been suffered through at least one Siege of Jerusalem and probably two by the time Jeremiah wrote this, which meant the temple had been destroyed and the walls were gone and all of the leadership, all of the leadership had been taken off to exile. despite that, which should leave you in a place of hopelessness, they were to be a people of hope, driven not so much by the need to obey in order to earn a reward. But, even in that dark place, are people who respond to all that God has already done and will do. A people who will be changed from the inside, not just an external obedience of rules, but a people though, for whom those rules had changed them to be the people of God. Now, that really is offering a different or bigger frame of reference. And our gospel this morning also offers us a bigger frame of reference. John, like the other gospel writers, saw Jesus as offering a much bigger understanding of God. That's the point of his ministry, to offer a much bigger picture of God. And in John, Jesus is described as a signpost to God, a signpost that sought to broaden John's hearer's imaginations so that they might more readily include the qualities of generosity and love and mercy and healing and compassion. In John we we meet a God and Jesus who changes not just individual lives but how whole communities function. A God who shatters the darkness that blinds us to who we really are. And allows us to live again as the people made in the image of God. And the cross in John is portrayed as the ultimate sign. It acts like a battle standard. That all those who follow the Christ and who look at it can reorientate themselves by it. Can understand their place in relation to it just as a battle standard operated in the days when they were important for armies. It was the point where you reorientated yourself. You knew where you were on the battlefield by your standard. You knew where you were supposed to be. That is how the cross is to operate for us. In the cross, John says, that is the moment when our imaginations are changed, broadened, And we become a new people marked by God's generosity, love, mercy, healing and compassion. But too often it feels like we've domesticated that message and we've domesticated God. We've made God small again, understandable again and we've reduced the cross to a death that appeased God's anger to allow us back into God's sight Rather than an outrageous act of love and compassion that breaks down all that binds us and blinds us and allows us to be people made in the image of God, allows this world to be all that God hoped for from the beginning. Our frame of reference has become too small not only our understanding of god has become too small and our understanding of who we are and what we are about we've come to think that we are the kingdom of god rather than the kingdom being god's work among all people we've come to think that god can only act through us instead of seeing god at work throughout the creation and inviting us to join that work We've come to think that it's all about me and God and getting into heaven rather than God's passion for all of creation and in the incarnation God working to allow this world and all who live in it to be all that God created them to be. And we've come to think that it's all about going to church rather than seeing church helping us to be a people whose imaginations have been stretched almost to breaking point, maybe to breaking point, so that we join God in God's passion for all creation. We still need that different or bigger frame of reference. Last week I had a conversation with um, a colleague who would come to me for supervision and we were talking about Richard Raw an American Franciscan priest who uh, writes and talks a lot about second half of life. And he uh, told me that a number of years ago he read another book by a secular author, not a religious author, who described the first half of life as being motivated by the need for success. And we can see that in what we drew in our picture in that Maori class. You've got to have a good job so that you can have enough money have the good car and the nice house. And in our world today, that might allow you to be famous. I mean, being famous is very important for a lot of people. That's what X Factor is all about. And all those cooking shows that some of you watch. So I've just grown at X Factor. But in the second half of life, we move on to wanting to be significant. And that's different, because being significant is a lot less about me. And it's much more about other people. And the impression that I leave, and whether I leave this earth better off for being here, whether anyone knows it or not, I think a lot of our church thinking is first half of life thinking. It's all about being successful, building up a sense of who we are and then being a success. And a surprising amount of our conversations are about how to have big congregations and successful outreach and being known. And a lot of our angst is because in the end, we're not very good at being successful and most of our churches never have been. We're actually pretty rubbish at all of those things. I wonder if we need a bigger or different frame of reference, and I wonder whether being significant also offers us a way into that. That being successful is about how to climb te te the mountain. But being significant, when we think about that, then we start thinking about he iti the small precious thing. I wonder if we are being invited to be significant rather than successful. And when I put that on on our Facebook page, somebody said, so what does a significant church look like? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What does a significant church look like? So as we prepare for our AGM and as we reflect on the past year, I wonder what it would look for us to be a significant church. I wonder what it would look like if we allowed our imaginations to be stretched beyond breaking point and allowed ourselves to really meet God made known in Jesus. I wonder if we look for he iti kahurangi rather than he tete what we would look like. Well, there's only one way to find out really and that's to have a conversation. So, I'm sure that was reasonably short for me. That gives us a few minutes to have a conversation. So I invite you to think about what has been most significant for you in the life of St. George's. In the last year, two, three, four, five years. Most significant. And what does that teach us about being a significant church? And what does that offer us for the year and years ahead as we prepare for our AGM? So, I invite you to think about that and if you're willing to have a conversation with those who are near you about that.